every time I'm sitting here recording a podcast episode, I wonder, where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm curious, you know? I sit here alone, especially when I do these solo podcasts, just speaking into the mic and in an empty room. And I'm always curious to know who's on the other side. And just so you know, for sake of transparency, in order to make these podcasts happen, I have to imagine somebody being on the other side. Because if I'm just rambling or speaking into the ether, so to speak, I get lost and it makes no sense. I have to actually imagine you on the other side. And thankfully, I have some of you who message me after the podcast, so I know who you are on social media. Some of you I've actually met in person, uh, so that's cool. And some of you even answer the little questions that I leave on Spotify. So I appreciate you for doing that and sharing with me. It makes recording that much better. Uh, today, before we get into the episode, I'm feeling pretty rough. And I'll tell you why I'm feeling rough, because on Saturday morning, we were about to go out on a little excursion. We were going to go to an aquarium with our grandson. And as we were about to walk out the door, our grandson says, uh, my tummy hurts. And I was like, oh, your tummy hurts? He's like, yeah, tummy hurts. I was like, okay. He usually doesn't complain about much. But sometimes he has a little something here and there. So I kind of listened to him and I said, okay, let's let's take it easy and see how he does. Well, as soon as we walked out the door, the little dude was projectile vomiting. And I was like, oh, crap. And uh, we just turned around, went back in the house, showered off because he was full of vomit. I was full of vomit. Sorry if it's very graphic, but that's just what it is when you're parenting uh, a kid. So we jump in the shower, shower off, see how he's progressing. Ten minutes later, he throws up again. And I was like, oh, no, we're in for it. And every 30 minutes for the following five hours, the poor guy was just puking and feeling miserable. And I don't want to share too much about the details, but you can imagine that they were gruesome. And it was just devastating to see this little guy hurting but after the five hours of doing his thing he finally uh, stopped he started to feel a little better but he was wiped out so he just dangled in my arms for the rest of the day and Tanya and I were both looking at each other like oh man are we gonna get this well 24 hours later on the dot Tanya says I don't know if it's because it's the hottest day of the year or what but I'm feeling nauseous and I'm like oh no I don't feel anything so I hope I'm not going to get it. And I hope it's just the heat that's making Tanya feel a little sick right now. But uh, no, 30 minutes later, she was throwing up. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just uh, support Tanya. And uh, the little guy is uh, now sleeping. It's the evening. Hopefully he sleeps through this and I can be the caregiver to Tanya as she goes through it. Well, two hours later, I, I, I wake up, and I think I'm okay. I've been kind of in and out of sleep, and you know where this is going. But uh, I get up because I hear Tanya's not feeling well. So I go to check in on her, and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, no. And then I realize, oh, man, I'm not okay either. She's in the bathroom. What do I have to do? Well, I have to run to our backyard because we only have one bathroom here, and I start throwing up in the backyard and I'm on all fours. I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I'm just telling you this because I feel, I'm feeling kind of rough. I'm on all fours in the backyard, just puking my brains out. And I'm like, man, I hope nobody hears me right now because I'm outdoors. The neighbors, uh, of course, are sleeping, but I look up uh, and the window next to me has their light on and they just closed the window i was like oh no <laughs> here i am anyways after i uh threw up i was like man i feel better i think that that was it and those were the infamous uh last words because the following eight hours were absolutely brutal thankfully our grandson didn't wake up he was fine 
and then we all woke up the next morning. Well, we didn't wake up. We were awake all night, but my grandson woke up. We were kind of up and going. Now we had stopped vomiting. We had gotten through the worst, and uh, I was like, okay, now we're going to care for a toddler uh, feeling like this. How are we going to do this? Well, I don't know how it happens, but you get this insane um, parent strength that just allows you to go about your day. And one of the things that I realized, and this is just now my personal uh, kind of journey through this, is that when I first threw up, and I hate throwing up, like I hate it. It's the worst. It, it makes me, I'm scared of it. Well, anyways, when I, I first threw up, I was like, okay, if I'm going to be in this, what is what is it that I'm learning? I'm going to use this as a practice. And interesting enough, the first words that came to me were, you are so much stronger and capable that you allow, then you allow yourself to believe that you are. Like, you are so able, and it's time for you to believe that. And I don't know, I thought, I thought that was pretty cool that I was able to tell myself that in that moment. Some people would say that was my higher self, that was uh, God or the universe speaking to me. Whatever it was, I'm taking that with me, and that was a cool lesson. So even though I'm feeling all beat up and we're all now in recovery, I'm extremely grateful for that message that I got in that moment, and I'm extremely grateful for my family's health and it's amazing how we have the ability to go through something like that and and heal. So I'm recovering, uh, hydrating, moving my body a little bit, and getting back on it. And I just thought that I would share that as um, a little story. Now, this episode is not about that. This episode is about this idea of, in performance specifically, being focused on process over outcome. So without further ado, let's get into the show. This is the Freestyle Way. All right, so everybody's heard this idea of focusing on the process, not on the outcome. And there are several famous individuals from various fields that have emphasized the importance of process over outcome in their philosophy and teachings, some of them being John Wooden, um, the legendary basketball coach. He often stressed the significance of focusing on the process rather than the outcome. He believed that by consistently improving and mastering the most fundamental skills and techniques that one could achieve success. And I believe it was to the point of helping his players uh, find a routine for how they would put on their socks to uh, put their shoes on, tie their shoelaces, and so on. So we're talking fundamental, fundamental. I think uh, Bruce Lee also said process over outcome. I think he used different words, and I can't remember what they were, but I think I've heard several interviews with him. And Bruce Lee was also a philosopher and somebody who cared deeply about self-improvement. And I guess... Um, he was most famous for saying, be like water. But it does underscore the idea of being adaptable and focusing on process over outcome. And then uh, Gandhi. Gandhi's philosophy through nonviolent uh, resistance was also rooted in the belief that having a process of striving for justice and equality was more important than the immediate outcomes, achieving the immediate goals that one had. And um, he believed in taking the right actions for the right reasons and letting the results speak for themselves, take care of themselves. And this idea of process over outcome is something that we all hear, we kind of understand, but it's hard to implement at times. So my goal for today is to first share a framework that I have used over the years that has been really helpful for me to find a better anchor for this idea of process over outcome, and then giving you a set of steps that I use when I'm coaching people. And then I'm going to give you 22, okay, that's very, very uh, specific, but 22 questions that you can ask yourself to get more clear on how to be process 
oriented. And uh, that's that's the show. So here's the framework that I use. It's process over progress, progress over progression, progression over outcome. So what does this mean? The outcome is the goal. It's the destination. The progression is the roadmap that gets you to the outcome. The progress is where you are on that path or on that roadmap on your way to your goal. And your process is the habits, the doing, the practices. Okay, so if we set a goal, outcome, and we create a roadmap, a progression, now we have a tangible way of getting there. We have a mechanical way of achieving the goal. Now, having a roadmap is just like having a prescription. When you have a prescription, you need to take the medicine. You need to exercise, execute on the prescription itself. You need to do something with it. You need to put it into action. And only when you put it into action will you start to see progress. The good news is that if you simply follow the roadmap, the plan, and you execute on it, you are going to see some progress. The problem that we run into in performance at any level is that early on we see progress and then we start to hit some roadblocks, some plateaus. And then we even experience something that feels like a regression, something that feels like we're working backwards, like we're getting worse. And in this moment, we get so caught up in not being in progress that we start to um, lose sight of why we started, and thus, in our mind, we feel like we're further away from our outcome. This is a problem, because the moment you feel like you're further away from your outcome, things become harder. You become more distracted, meaning you start to think that there are solutions elsewhere, that your progression is not working, that it's not reliable, and this is something that I, I used to hear in the CrossFit space all the time. I used to hear uh, people, um, instead of just following the programming that the gym was assigning, always looking for programming elsewhere, thinking that that programming must be the solution. That programming must be the right progression to get to their outcome. When in reality, it was a process problem. It was uh, a lack of dedication to the progression and trusting that the progression, the design of the prescription, the structure of the execution, the roadmap itself, there was a belief that that was faulty and thus not being able to simply show up for it. Now, how does one uh, now achieve a state of being process-oriented? Well, one achieves this by having properly set goals. And this is something that everybody in the performance world has talked about. But step one is visualizing a big goal. It's setting a big goal. And when you visualize or set a big goal, like I'm going to try to make it to the Olympics. No, no I'm not going to try. I'm going to make it to the Olympics. I'm going to uh, start a successful business. You can define success. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to whatever it may be, a lofty goal, a big goal a dream goal. Once you set a goal, which is step one, that's the thing that gets you into motion. That's the thing that catalyzes process. When you get going, now you're not outcome bound. Sorry, you are outcome bound, but you're not outcome focused. You are process focused because you are that outcome already. You are that person already. Even though you haven't achieved the goal itself, you haven't arrived, you see yourself, you start to feel like the person that is able to be at that outcome. Great, so setting the lofty goal is amazing. The problem is that that will only last you so long. So the next step, step two, is to set a stretch goal, which is simply uh, a moderately lofty goal. Uh, stretch goal, this, the first time I heard stretch goal was from my friend um, Logan Gelbrick, and I think he actually shared it on this podcast 
a long time ago. But yeah, stretch goal is something that I, I had to look up to see who said it first. And I think it was Jake Welch, who was the former CEO and chairman of uh, General Electric. And a stretch goal is basically a goal that is achievable, but in order to achieve it, you're going to have to stretch yourself. So just imagine yourself right now stretching your arm out and uh, feeling like you can uh, almost reach for something that's on a shelf, okay? So you stretch your arm out, there's something on a shelf, you can almost reach it, but you would have to stretch a little bit longer to get there and make a lot of effort, maybe even get on your tippy toes to get there, and maybe at that point, you could get the thing that's up on the shelf. That's a stretch goal. So setting a stretch goal is key because a stretch goal now is something that is lofty, it's big, but it's within your reach. The way to think about this, let's say you're a CrossFitter. Some of you who listen are CrossFitters. So I'm just going to set, set this example. And you want to make it to the CrossFit Games. That's your big goal. I want to compete in the CrossFit Games. Instead of focusing on the CrossFit Games, saying, well, okay, uh, maybe I can't go to the CrossFit Games, but let's see if I can place uh, top 100 in the Open. Let's see if I can win the Open within my uh, city, within my gym. That's a stretch goal. Something that is right there that you can reach for it, but it's going to take a little bit of effort. So that's step two. Step three is being very specific and having a very concrete end goal. This concrete end goal is key for becoming process-oriented. And why is that? Well, because the more concrete, the more specific your destination, the clearer you'll become in the progression that you'll follow. Thus, you'll be able to trust that progression in a way that produces progress that gets you closer. And when seeing and feeling progress, being able to simply show up and now becoming process oriented. This is super important. The other thing about being specific about setting one's goals is that when you set a goal, focus on less, meaning keep it very simple. Now, this uh, may be uh, an example that some of you can relate to, but a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were planning on moving to Sweden. Um, our grandson was born, so that got canceled. We were in the middle of the pandemic. Everything just uh, got very messy. All of a sudden, we had sold all the stuff that we had in the U.S., and uh, we were planning on this uh, big move. And then we found ourselves in a little pickle where we didn't have a place to uh, live in the United States. We were trying to get to Sweden. So we had to rent something. Uh, we rented something short term and then we were looking for a longer term rental. So we said, okay, what are things that we want? Well, uh, we want a house. We don't want to be in an apartment. We want a house. We want a backyard. We want to be somewhere that's convenient, close to stores. Uh, we want easy parking. We lived in San Francisco. So having a garage was a luxury and parking on the street was a pain. Um, so we wanted easy parking. We wanted uh, laundry in the unit or in the house. And uh, we wanted some room for storage. Anyways, when we got very clear on what our goal was and what it would look like, it was simple. And we found it right away. Also, we had a price in mind. And the price was... 30% uh, below uh, the, the average of the market at the time. Well, within days, actually, of becoming very clear on this goal, Tanya was walking down the street. She saw a sign for rent, and she's like, oh, look at this place. It looks a little funky, but uh, it says for rent. She went in. She took a look. She looked at the price. She looked at all the amenities. It had everything we needed, but we had failed. <laughs> we had failed to be concrete on certain things. One of the things was uh, we had failed to be concrete on the age of the property. Well, this was now a hundred and twelve year old, a uh, hundred and twelve year old house. Okay, we got the house, but it's a hundred and twelve years old. The other thing is 
it had been um, remodeled several times. So each room, each little nook in, in that house had uh, a different design. So it just felt like walking into, I don't even know, it, it just felt like it, it belonged in a carnival. And uh, the other thing was, uh, it's been around so long that the foundation has slightly changed. Thus, there are certain rooms in the house that are leaning. Then the other thing was that it had a garage, but it didn't have a garage where we could park the car. It did have a garage that we could store uh, stuff in. So it had a storage unit. It had the thing. And then it had uh, a washer and dryer in there. But uh, the landlord uh, that we were renting from and that we were uh, looking to sign the lease with said, um, these are not included in the lease. I have nothing to do with them. You can use them if you want. Uh, but uh, they're, they're, if they break down, this is your problem, not my problem. In addition to that, the, the buttons on this uh, washer and dryer, they were broken. The little knob to turn it around was broken. You have to like stick your finger in there and do like these like crazy maneuvers to adjust it. Anyways, you can just imagine. The backyard was huge. Is huge because, uh, spoiler alert, we live here now. Um, yeah, it had everything we wanted, but it didn't look or feel like that which we were looking for. We were concrete. We got all the things that we asked for, but we failed to say, oh, we want something that is updated or modern or convenient uh, um, uh, floor plan, um, whatever it may be, a certain design aesthetic. Like we weren't specific enough. So specificity is huge. And I, I share the story because I think emphasizing that is important and maybe you find it amusing in some some way. All right. So now uh, I'm talking about goal setting right now. And all of this is about being process oriented. So how does this fit in? Well, I'm, I'm going to get there and um, you'll see how we get there in a second. It will make sense by the end. So I'm going to give you now 22 questions. These are questions that you can write down. They're super simple. And the first two questions are around defining your goal. So the first question is, what is the specific outcome or goal you want to achieve? Super simple. You answer that. The second question is, is your goal specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound? These are like smart goals. Um, sometimes smart goals are overhyped and they claim to be the end-all be-all and everybody has an acronym for their different um, frameworks for setting goals. But I think that these SMART goals, where you're being specific, added a metric on what that goal looks like to achieve. Achievable, meaning that you can reach it. And remember that we're looking now at a, a moderately lofty a stretch goal. Uh, relevant, meaning that it's something that is desirable to you, that it means something to you. And meaning is huge because meaning is your relationship to achieving the goal. Meaning is what uh, makes you feel something and ultimately fuels your thinking and thus your behavior. And it's important because sometimes you are going to hate achieving your goal. You're going to want to quit. There's going to be a lot of negative feelings. And remembering the relevance is what's going to allow you to continue going forward. And this is why I always say, remember why you started and you will know how to finish. The why you started is the feeling. I started because I had this feeling. I wanted to change that feeling by achieving this. In other words, I had this feeling because I had an unmet need. Now I have a new need that I want to get met and I'm going to do this to achieve it. And then finally in the SMART goals, it's being time-bound, which simply means that uh, you have a time limit for it. So for example, right now I'm working with um, a few breakers, as a lot of you know, who are looking to qualify for the Olympics. Their goal is to make it to the Olympics. It's very specific. They want to qualify for the Olympics. How do they measure it? Well, they have a ranking. They follow that ranking. Am I ranking high? Am I getting closer or not? Is it achievable? Yes, it's right there. They're on the international ranking. They're within the standings. They're at the top of the thing. They're going to make it. They're getting closer. It's achievable. Is it relevant? Yes, they have dedicated their whole life to breaking. This means everything. And getting to the Olympics, which is the pinnacle of uh, sports, 
um, is is very relevant, and it can be life changing in many ways if, of course, pursued for the right reasons. And is it time bound? Yes, Paris 2024, August 9th and 10th. That's when the Olympics for breaking specifically is happening. So a smart goal. So those are the first two questions of the 22. So I'm going to keep moving through this. Now, you need to clarify your motivation. Why do you want to achieve this goal? This is the third question. Why do you want to achieve this goal? The fourth question is, how will you, um, sorry, how will achieving this goal benefit you or others? Now, you may be thinking, well, aren't you being redundant now? Isn't this like overlapping? It's not. It's adding some color. So how will achieving this goal benefit you and others? And you want to be very specific. Is it going to give you money? Is it going to give you a home? Is it going to give you time? What is it What is it getting you? Where's the value there? Be very specific and make a list on this. Then you want to assess resources and constraints. This is key. So the question is, what resources, time, money, skills, support, are available to work toward this goal? The following question is, are there any potential obstacles or constraints that you need to consider? What are you going to have to overcome? And this is key because if you know what you're about to face, and a lot of times it's hard to predict these things, you can be better prepared. You can have a better progression. You can have a better roadmap. And keep in mind that defining a goal um, just like out of the blue uh will not be perfect. It will kind of be like my wife and I trying to find a rental home and then finding where we are currently right now. So continuing forward, now you need to set clear milestones. Your progression, your roadmap, needs to have benchmarks, moments, standards that you're meeting. So the next question is, what are the key milestones or checkpoints on the way to your goal? Once you know that, now you want to ask yourself, how will you measure progress toward these milestones, meaning that within the progression, which is from A to Z, from uh, start to finish, from here to achieving your goal, what are the moments that you're going to go through that are going to mark that you're making it? So for example, for these breakers that I'm currently working with, uh, they need to go to certain events. They need to go to their regional events. They need to go to their national events. They need to go to international events. They need to qualify at those. Then they need to go to world championships. Then they need to go to their continental championships. And then through those milestones and achieving certain uh, ranks within them, that will give them access to uh, the OQS, which is the Olympic Qualifier Series for breaking, which is a series of events. And then once they've gone through that, then they will finally be uh, qualified for the Olympics. So knowing what milestones you have to hit. Sometimes you won't know what those milestones are. So my suggestion is that you make them up. And this is something that uh, some people would advise against. But here's the thing. We're all making this up. And, uh, if, um, and, and when I say this, I mean life. We're trying to figure it out as we go. So my suggestion is that you start by making it up. And when you made it up, okay, don't just let it be made up. Uh, go and find, seek out a mentor, seek out a coach, seek out somebody who has gone through this Hire them, pay them, uh, buy them coffee, do something to get them to share their progression, their roadmap, to share the milestones that they know that you're going to have to hit, or at least the ones that they believe are important. And that way you'll get clarity on this. But while you're doing it on your own, just make them up and you may be right. And if you are right, then there's something about your intuition that is amazing. This is a completely different um, story and I digress. So continuing with the questions. Now you need to plan and strategize. So here's the next question. What specific actions or steps must you take to reach your goal? Simple. What, are, what steps are you going to take? What do you have to execute on? The second one uh, on planning and strategizing here, the same question within this little bucket out of the 22, is how will you break down the goal into smaller manageable tasks? So this is kind of like having the big vision, then realizing, whoa, making it to the Olympics, whoa, starting a business, whoa, 
writing a book. That's that's the big goal. I can't do that now. What's my lofty goal? What's my stretch goal? This is the same thing. You you just need to figure out what are the smaller tasks. And I guarantee you that wherever you're sitting right now, wherever you are, if you just think about this, you know exactly what to do. You don't have to ask anybody. It's right in front of you. It's right there. You know what to do. You've just been probably procrastinating and uh, avoiding it. So this is a chance for you to write it down. Answer this question. Just write it down. Put it on paper. And uh, that will at least get you a little bit closer. Now, the following, questions, uh, the following question is, are there alternative paths or strategies to consider? And this one is very relevant to me because even this, this podcast is called The Freestyle Way. The Freestyle Way is all about finding your path. It's, it, I believe that you are a pathfinder. We are pathfinders, which means that we find the way that works for us. We find our own lane. And in finding that lane, what happens is that the more we explore who we are and how we express ourselves, the more unique we become. And the more unique one becomes, one starts to separate or um, uh, become more distinguished, stand out from the masses, thus becoming an alternative path, an alternative option, an alternative person. So in this question, are there uh, any alternative paths or strategies to consider, I just want you to use this as a little imagination game. And it's it's a really powerful thing to do. Simple question, powerful exercise. Now you have to anticipate um, your challenges. So um, the question here is, what potential obstacles or challenges might you encounter along the way? And how can you prepare to overcome them when they show up? This is extremely uh, important because you, in embarking on achieving a goal, are choosing to become autonomous, self-directed, your own leader. And a quote, or actually a definition rather, that I really like um, for leadership is by Ron Heifetz, and I think I've also shared it on the podcast before, which is the ability to mobilize people to overcome obstacles or challenges to come out on the other side triumphant. Now, in this case, you're not mobilizing people at first, you're mobilizing yourself. But what you will realize is that in mobilizing yourself, you will immediately start to mobilize others. And you will encounter these blocks, roadblocks, that you're going to have to overcome. And it's how you overcome those and how you are preparing yourself to overcome those or how you choose to work on overcoming those that will dictate uh, your success. And your success is coming out on the other side, not only triumphant, meaning winning, but also in a way where you create a succession. In other words, a progression. And this is so important. Now, once you have this, you're going to start to develop a timeline. We want to be time-bound. Remember, this was according to the SMART goals. And when you develop a timeline, you want to ask yourself the following two questions. What is your target completion date for each milestone and then for the overall goal? And then the next question you want to ask yourself is how will you allocate time to each task or phase of your plan. This is where I'll share uh, later in this podcast this idea of, of time blocking. But this is extremely important. Is like, how are you going to spend your time? This is your, your most valuable resource. How are you going to spend it? And where are you going to spend it? Become clear on that. Then I want you to monitor and adjust. This is kind of uh, like evaluating yourself. And the three questions you can ask yourself here are, how will you track your progress toward your goal? So, how are you measuring how you're moving through the progression through the roadmap? The next question is, are there any indicators that will help you understand if you're on track? And uh, what, what does this really mean? This really means that uh, are the numbers that you're producing, the metrics that you've created, are they actually informing you on where you are on the roadmap? Sometimes when we are in a plateau or we're in the dark ages of training, 
our numbers sometimes move backwards. But what it is, many times, is that the body is going through a reset. And uh, if we are looking at the uh, output numbers, let's say, um, how heavy is my back squat? How fast am I sprinting? Whatever it may be. Uh, that's not always an indicator of uh, regression. It may be an indicator of something else. And the something else may be, ah, I need to focus more on my recovery. I've been looking at the wrong numbers. Thus, my indicators are not, the ones that I'm focusing on right now, are not helping me understand whether I'm making progress or not. So think about what indicators, where you're going to be looking at your numbers that will be telling you whether you're moving forward or backwards. And this is why having a pretty um, extensive uh, understanding of what you're trying to achieve is so important. And actually just going through these this exercise of asking yourself these questions is helpful. And once again, finding a mentor or a coach that can help you with this, somebody who's been through it before. They know the lay of the land. They know what you're going to encounter and they know what to look for. And uh, when it comes to achieving your goals, you need to become really good at reading that which you are getting as feedback and realizing that there's potential feedback that you're missing because you're not looking in the right direction. So are there any indicators that will help you understand if you're on track? These are not only your numbers in terms of the outcome or output, but everything else that goes into this black box that is you that eventually produces uh, the goal. The following question is, how often will you assess your progress and make adjustments? Now, this is completely up to you, but um, I do this on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, I do a little check-in. How did I do? Wh what's going on here? Um, I look at certain numbers. Uh, sometimes it's finances, but finances is usually once a month. Uh, and then I do a bigger one every quarter. So uh, I do... One a week, small check-in, one a month, one a quarter, and then at the end of the year, I do a, a big one, and, and that's usually the one I do in December. Uh, so that that's what works for me, but this is completely up to you. Now, uh, point number nine has also another two questions here, which is to seek support, and I've, I've already alluded to this twice uh, because this was coming, um, and I think this is the most important is but it's asking you now specifically who can provide me with support, advice, or expertise related to my goal. The next question is, can uh, mentors, peers, or professionals help me along the way? And this is important uh, an important question to add, and it can just be yes or no. And most of you are just thinking, oh, duh, yeah. Uh, but sometimes no, because sometimes it's something that uh, has never been done before. Maybe they just don't know how to help you on the big goal. But within your big goal, most of the times, it's based on micro goals that other people have achieved before. Seek out those people. And uh, I think you can, can do really well uh, with that. And it can help you paint at least a picture that gets you pretty close, and then you get to go the distance. But yeah, seek support and ask yourself those two questions. Who can provide you with support, advice, and expertise related to your goal. And then ask yourself, and this is an important question, can mentors, peers, or professionals help me along the way? Okay, uh, the final uh, little bucket here is stay committed and adaptable. And uh, to stay committed and, adap and adaptable, you, you can ask yourself the following two questions, and these are the last two questions. This is question 21 and 22. Question 21 is, how will you stay motivated and focused on your goal? especially when facing setbacks. So now this is the mental and emotional side of things. And then uh, are you open? This is the final question. Are you open to adjusting your plan if circumstances change or new information arises? And this is key. When Tanya and I had a goal of moving to Sweden and all of a sudden our circumstances changed, our grandson was born, we contemplated, oh yeah, Maybe we'll stay in the U.S. We won't go to Sweden. And we decided to change our plan. Something else is when, when new technologies come up, all of a sudden we have AI, and AI is advancing pretty quickly. There's new information, new technology. Maybe I'll change the way that I do business. The question is, 
are you open to this? This is kind of like when uh, social media showed up, when uh, the internet showed up, new technologies, new information, new ways. Are you open to adjusting? And most of you are thinking, of course I am. But if you're listening right now and you've ever complained about any social media platform, whether it be uh, TikTok or now Twitter going to becoming X, if you complain about any of these or felt any kind of way about them, then most likely there's a part of you that has resistance to change and not willing to adjust. So those are the 22 questions that you can ask yourself for defining your goal. Now, this was after me sharing, uh, how many did I share? Three steps uh, for um, becoming process-oriented. Now comes step number four, and this now uh, shifts us into this idea of playing some mind games. And... There is, um, in step four specifically, I, I'm going to ask you to visualize future rewards. So imagine yourself achieving the goal. And now that you've asked yourself these 22 questions, it's pretty clear why you're doing it and what you're going to get out of it. So I want you to visualize your future rewards. It's What are you going to get from it? And specifically, I want you to visualize how it's going to feel because those rewards feel a certain way. And the reason this is important, even if it's just like one minute, 30 seconds, the further away your goal is, the less motivated you become by the goal, the less interested you become in it. It gets old. But when you visualize, and there's plenty of research on this, but when you visualize the rewards, not even the image of you doing the thing, that gets old. Like you standing on the podium with a gold medal, that gets old. Visualizing the rewards, which is how it feels, that will get you to stay motivated, stay in motion, and become more process-oriented. Furthermore, what it does is it puts you in a state of being that is the state of being that you need to be in to be able to achieve the goal itself. Thus, you are always ready. You're staying prepared. Now, this one is counterintuitive, and, I, and I've and i wrestled with this one for uh, years, and I'm going to share it first, and then I'm going to share uh, why I wrestled with it, but why I believe it's true, and th- it is backed by uh, research. But step five is now, instead of visualizing your future rewards, I want you to visualize failure. Failure. Yeah, I want you to imagine yourself failing. And you may be thinking, well, doesn't that take away from my goal? Well, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought that was true. But apparently there's this thing called counterfactual thinking or mental contrasting or the if only, which is this idea um, that when we arrive at a destination or we uh, you know, even miss the goal or achieving a goal, or we're feeling dissatisfied, in retrospect, hindsight being 2020, we say, if only, if only I had brushed my teeth, I wouldn't have had this root canal. If only I had saved some money, I wouldn't be worried about money at the age of 70. If only I had, whatever it may be, recovered better, I wouldn't have gotten injured, and I would have made it to the Olympics. If only. So visualizing failure, what that does is it allows you to be prepared for the dangers ahead, for the obstacles ahead, for the things that you don't want. And what it has shown to do is to help you be better prepared. And the reason I was reluctant to even share this here, because sometimes I'm like, is this really true? Is this something that is real? is because I'm a very anxious person. And the person who's anxious is always worried about the future. But in thinking about this, every time I've been extremely anxious about something, but I've been able to couple that by visualizing the rewards of getting through, getting past what could have been potential failures, I've always come out being much more successful. And why is that? Well, because it's allowed me to identify the potential mistakes that I could be making ahead and be prepared for those. It also gives me mental preparation. It's kind of like when I was sick this this weekend. 
with the flu, the stomach flu, I knew it was it was probably coming. So when it came, I was like, oh, damn, here we are. But I'm going through it. So I was prepared. I was ready for it. So it wasn't that tough for me. I came came through it pretty quickly. I feel rough. But mentally, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for that. I can get through it. So it gives you mental preparation. The other thing that it does is it gives you motivation and focus because visualizing failure can actually um, enhance motivation by creating a sense of urgency to to avoid these adverse outcomes. And this is not like trying to um, get away from something bad. It, It simply gives you focus and it narrows you on the path of achieving your goal, which is getting the rewards, those future rewards. And then the other thing that it does is it allows you to uh, have realistic expectations. And although when I was younger, my expectations were not realistic and it allowed me to achieve some, some things because I was naive enough that I believed that I could do it, on the flip side, I always thought to myself, man, if only, if I had only read the fine print, So this is extremely important. And then finally, um, visualizing failure allows you to learn from your mistakes before they've happened. And this is uh, so powerful. Now, a little note here is that when you visualize failure, it may evoke a feeling. It's extremely important that that feeling that will make you experience it in your body it's going to actually evoke an emotion that's going to change your physiology that you're able to feel it notice it and then immediately decouple yourself from it separate from from it and simply see it for what it is and one way to do this is to write it down on paper say uh say you're scared of of losing all your money okay so you just write it down i'm going to lose all my money all right now, you, you wrote it down and now scratch that out. It's not going to happen. And then if you want to uh, reinforce your uh, future rewards visualization, you say, uh, I'm going to uh, have 10x the money in my, in my account. You're right. I, I, I have, extremely important to write it in present tense, I have 10x uh, money in my account. And then instead of scratching it out, you add a little check mark at the end. That little check mark allows you to express that it's done. It's already happened. And this is like Charlie Rocket used to say, time is simply catching up. It's already happened. It's already done. Time is simply catching up. Done. From a um, physiological standpoint, there will be some dopamine there. And dopamine says, you did it. And that will keep you going. All right. So that's just a little... Uh, play for uh, step four and five, which is mind games. And now uh, there are two mind hacks here. And I actually heard these, yeah, on the Andrew Huberman podcast. Um, and man, I forget. Uh, I should have actually written this down in my notes uh, and it was coming. So there you go. If only, if only I had prepared a little bit more for this podcast, I would have done this better. But that's just a note for myself. Step six, mind hack. Here it is. Sp- Space-time bridging. This is what uh, Andrew Huberman called it, which is this idea of, uh, it's a very simple exercise. I'll explain it in a second, but it's on playing with time. So um, let's say, I'm I'm just using the uh, example of the Olympics. Uh, the Olympics is uh, happens every four years. Uh, the, the Olympic cycle is called a quad, and you know that it's going to take four years for you to get to the next Olympics. Uh, if uh, the Olympic cycle just started, you you know that you're four years out, and four years feels distant. But if you imagine yourself at the Olympics, what you will do is you will basically compress time. In order for you to imagine yourself at the Olympics, at the next Olympics, uh, you go internal. And this is the first step of space-time bridging, which is what Andrew Huberman called it, and he's maybe changed it uh, now. But this is this idea of, of doing this very simple exercise where you go internal, and, and this doesn't even have to be focusing on your goals or anything like that. You're just going to pay attention to yourself, okay? So you're going to go internal, just pay attention to what's happening inside of you, and you're going to spend three breaths, 
three slow breaths internally. Then you're going to open your eyes or uh, just now pay attention to the outside world. And you're going to maybe look at your hands or your skin, something that you can see in your uh, immediate vicinity right here. And you're going to do three breaths right there. And then you're going to, after doing those three breaths, then you're going to look out the window into the horizon. And you're going to do the same thing. As you're focusing on the horizon, you're going to take three deep breaths. And then you're going to return back to that which is in your immediate uh, vicinity. You can even look at your hands or uh, let's say you're sitting at a desk at the desk. Three breaths and then back to internal. So this little exercise, even if it's not um, in direct relationship to your goal, it allows you to shift focus and maintain um, a level of movement, internal movement, uh, and allows you to now add on visualization where you can see your distant focus as me achieving the goal. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it to the Olympics. The external one is I'm going to qualify for the Olympics. And then the internal one is where I am right now in the process of preparation. So playing with this idea of space-time bridging is, uh, is a fun one. Now that's step six. And this is part of the mind hacks. Now step seven is right before practicing or getting to work or doing something that is going to require your focus to spend 30 to 60 seconds looking at an external point on the wall and uh, using it as a, a primer for focus. And some people, uh, you know, they uh, either focus on their breath when they're meditating or they hear like a little chime and it, and that chime uh, sets them into a state of focus. One thing that you can do is just, as I said, you can just look at a, stare at a point on the wall or look at, uh, uh, I have a little water bottle right here. Look at a water bottle for 30 or 60 seconds and just pay attention to it. Don't do anything else. That will set you up to execute better. Finally, application. This is step eight, time blocking for productivity. When you set a goal, the goal is also to uh, start to instill habits and practices. And in order for you to do this, instead of um, saying that you're going to uh, do X amount per day, you're simply going to block out time to focus on something. And allocating specific blocks of time for focus work on your goals, what it does is it makes you process-oriented. And what you'll notice is that maybe at first you'll be like, oh, I'm going to set aside two hours to do something. Well, I want you to think about it this way. Imagine um, you've never uh, trained or exercised before or you've never run before and you decide that you're going to allocate two hours to running. You're probably not going to last two hours. And if you do, you probably won't be able to run tomorrow. So when it comes to time blocking, my suggestion is that you you set a time block that is shorter than you imagine your, your capabilities to be at at the moment. And you'll realize that most of us can't really focus on something uh, for <laughs> more than three minutes. So uh, it will become challenging. But this is uh, a point I'm going to make, and this one is, is key. Let's say you blocked your time from 9 to 10 to focus on, um, let's say it's uh, corresponding emails, following up on something. And let's say within the, the time block, um, you got distracted and you, you ended up, I don't know, getting up to get some water or making yourself some coffee, to, um, to realize that it's okay to be distracted within that time block especially if you're trying to create something. So let's say now it's uh, not something that is a task that um, is, is uh, completed by following certain steps. Maybe it requires some creativity to, to allow the time block to have moments where you're not doing anything. You, you're actually feeling like you just want to walk away. You want to do something else. And calling yourself out to not do something else, to not try to advance a different project, but to simply sit there until your body feels ready to go back to being productive, to go back to being creative, to go back to doing the thing that you had allocated the time to do. 
This may seem super counterintuitive, but when you do it, it really starts to uh, pay uh, dividends. And it does it in ways that will surprise you. So without saying much more about it, my suggestion is in order to apply yourself, start by blocking out some time and then let that dictate what's next. Let that dictate your next chunk of time, your next focus. And this is important because when we start projects, we try to do much more. When we try to set out to achieve a goal, we, we do more than we can handle. And it's better to just do the one thing that we know we have to do and to allow that one thing to inform the next. And then to iterate on this process until we have a system that really works. And what is this? Well, a system that really works is a progression. It's a roadmap. But in order to develop the best roadmap, the best progression, we need to be process-oriented. In order to become process-oriented, we have to have one thing to focus on. And if you choose to block out your time, you will have that one thing to focus on. And the more you focus on that, the more process-oriented you are. And what ends up happening is that this, over time, this block of time, this block of focus, produces a habit. It starts to get ingrained in who you are and what you do. And as it produces a habit, it creates a new identity. In other words, you become the person that does those things. If you want to be fitter and you start to exercise, you become fit because now it's ingrained in you to exercise because your goal was to be fit. In other words, your goal becomes your process. Your process is your goal. The goal is the process. And that's where this idea of the final step, which is step nine, there could be 10 steps, but I, I kept it at nine, which is to simply keep going, keep trying. And there's a, a rule, uh, it's called the 85% rule, where the idea is you should have practices and systems that allow you to be on point, accurate, successful 85% of the time. That means that you're you're successful four out of five times. And uh, I, I bring up a story here, and I call this one the, the try it again. And I, and I have that little tone because uh, my grandson, uh, he's very physical, very active. And uh, just a few months ago, he used to get super frustrated, super frustrated when he was trying to do something physical and he couldn't achieve it. One of the things that he uh, was getting frustrated with uh, a few months ago was hitting a ball. He's two and a half, okay? Hitting a ball with a racket as I was show, uh, throwing him this ball. And he was getting very frustrated about this. And I'm like, dude, this is pretty advanced. And he would get so frustrated, he would just like have a tantrum and just like lie down on his back. But now something has clicked for him where he uses the try it again mantra, the try it again motto. And uh, if he fails, he says, try again. Try it again. This is a two-and-a-half-year-old who is process-oriented. He just knows that he has to show up consistently over and over again. And that's the cliche, most evident uh, way of becoming process-oriented. So in summary, in order to uh, understand the idea of being process-oriented is to realize that uh, the outcome sets you up for the process and that over time you will see progress and you will see progress if you follow the progression, the roadmap, and eventually that progression will lead you to the outcome. And the days where you lose yourself and you don't want to be process-oriented look at where you are, evaluate yourself, see where you are on the map and realize how far you come and allow that to motivate you to keep going and then lean into what you need to do, which will put you in a state of process and eventually that will take you to where you imagine your goal. And this is something that you probably heard before, but maybe just in listening to this um you got maybe some new ideas and felt like you heard it in a slightly different way or it simply came 
at the right time for you. So yeah, that was uh, process over outcome. And uh, I'm terrible at titles for uh, podcasts. So if you ever see, okay, this is now a little shout out to everybody. If you ever see a title to a podcast that you think could be better, uh, feel free to message me and suggest better titles. The cheesiest uh, title I can come up for, uh, come up with for this this podcast would be uh, "Crush Your Goals, Not Your Dreams." <laughs> Crush your goals, not your dreams. <laughs> All right, uh, that is terrible, but um, there you have it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the uh, episode, it helps a ton. You know what I'm going to ask you for is the one ask, rate, review wherever you're listening, and. Yeah, leave me a little message, a little comment, and um, we'll we'll do more. I think my next guest, uh, either next week or the following, will be Caroline Burkle. She's been on the podcast before, uh, Olympic-level swimmer, uh, bronze medalist, uh, to talk about uh, mindset, mental health, and more. So stay tuned for that, and uh, thank you for listening again, and we'll connect soon. Peace. This is the Freestyle Way. <laughs>